Well, on this last Sunday of April, if you have a Bible with you, I would like you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 2 and verses 12 through 17. The Gospel of John chapter 2 and verses 12 through 17. That will be our text this morning. And as I have been mentioning on the videos each week, if you don't have a Bible with you, that is okay. We will have most of the verses on the screen for you to follow along. This morning we come to a very famous event in Jesus' ministry, much like last week. Last week we saw Jesus turn water into wine. This week we're going to look at him cleansing the temple in Jerusalem. And in John chapter 2, in verses 12 through 17, this is what we read. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Well, our first point this morning is the Passover. This passage occurs early in Jesus' three-year ministry and has been the focal point of some debate. And you may wonder, why is there a debate about this passage? And the debate centers on this. John, the Apostle John, is the only one of the gospel writers who places Jesus' cleansing of the temple very early in his three-year ministry. The other four gospel writers all place it later in his ministry. In fact, during the very last week of his ministry. So in Mark chapter 21, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 21, Mark 11, and Luke 19, they all place the cleansing of the temple during the very last week of those three years of Jesus' ministry on earth whereas John places it very early in those three years. And even the wording that John uses is slightly different than is used in the other three counts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the other Gospels, when Jesus cleanses the temple, he says this, "'My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations.'" but you have made it a den of robbers. Here in the Gospel of John, in verse 16, we read, And he told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. So on the one hand, he's concerned because his father's house is a house of prayer. Here, he is concerned because they have turned his father's house into a house of of trade. So, why does John place it at the beginning of his three-year ministry 
And the other three gospel writers place it at the end of his three-year ministry. Some have said, and still hold to this particular position, that they think the Apostle John simply took the cleansing of the temple and for his own purposes, in his writing of the gospel, placed it very early in Jesus' ministry so that it fit his purpose at this particular point. So they said that he knowingly took it out of chronological order and, and brought it back to the beginning of his gospel early in Jesus' ministry. But I don't think that's what he's doing here. I'm of the thought, and I know there are many commentaries that would agree with this. I believe the reason that John places it early in Jesus' ministry is because there are two cleansing, cleansings of the temple. Jesus, Jesus cleanses it early in his ministry, and he cleanses it later in his ministry, at the very end of his three-year ministry. So I think there are two times when Jesus cleansed the temple. Now you may say, Pastor Tim, why do you think that? Here's why. I'm going to give you two reasons. First of all, the first reason is because John is very particular with his time order in these first two chapters. He's very meticulous in giving us dates and events. At the end of chapter 1, he goes the next day. Then again, he says the next day. Then again, he says the next day. And then at the beginning of chapter 2, he says on the third day that we looked at last week, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. In verse 12, it says, after this, he went down to Capernaum. In verse 13, it says, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. So John seems to be taking great care to give us the chronological, the time order of the sequence of events. And it doesn't appear at all that he just arbitrarily places the cleansing of the temple early in his gospel. The second reason that I believe there were two cleansings is this. I think after the first time he cleansed the temple, and this isn't hard for us to understand, I think those money changers and those who bought and sold animals, I think they set their tables back up and went at it again. I, don't th I think there was probably a period of time where they didn't, but then they were right back at their trade again. And so approximately two and a half to three years later, Jesus has to cleanse the temple again. But let's think about this passage this morning. It is very important to note that the first time Jesus cleansed the temple was at the time of the Passover. So I am working from that place where I believe there were two cleansings, and this is the first one. And this is the first one. And it is important for us to note that this first cleansing takes place at the time of the Passover. That's really crucial to understanding everything that is taking place here. In verses 12 through 14, again we read, after this he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there at Passover. At the time of the Passover, many people would be traveling from all over Israel, many of them coming a long distance to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they would come at the time of the Passover to do two things. There were two things that they would do. First, each family had to sacrifice or give to the priest to sacrifice a required animal. Second, each family would have to pay the temple tax. And because many of them traveled a long distance, called pilgrims or travelers, and as they would come to Jerusalem, they would travel so far, they didn't bring their own animals. And when they came to the temple to pay the temple tax, you could only pay the temple tax with the official currency and coinage that was used in Jerusalem. But in other parts of Israel, they used different kinds of currency and coinage. So when they came to the temple, they would have to exchange their coins for the official coins in order to pay the temple tax. So that's the setting, that's the background that we find here. But that brings us to really the foundational, contextual thought that we are looking at here. And it helps us to understand this passage. This entire setup of purchasing animals and exchanging coins, this entire setup had gone from a sincere way to assist travelers to a very lucrative money-making business. This, at this point, this buying of animals and exchanging of coins had become big business, and people were making a lot of money. One writer said this. He said that in an exchanging of the coins, some believe that there was as much as a 12% profit on all the exchange of coins. So people were making a lot of money off this. And that gets us to the heart and the soul of why Jesus was so upset by this. The worship of God was no longer central and important to those who sold the animals and exchanged the money. Here in the court of the Gentiles where this takes place, this was a place designed for the worship of God, for the adoration of God, where you would come to praise Him, to treasure Him, to express your heart's longing for Him. This very place that was designed in the temple for the worship of the true and living God had become this money-making business. And that leads us to our second point this morning. Zeal for the worship of God. And that is actually the title of this message this morning. When Jesus sees what is happening, he reacts in a bold display of righteous zeal. Look at verses 15 through 17 again. And making a whip of cords, 
he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered. They remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Again in verse 15, Jesus makes a whip of cords. He drives them all out of the temple. And he pours out the coins of the money changers and overturns their tables. I just want you to sense the passion here. I just want you to sense the passion of what is happening here. This is sinless Jesus. This is the perfect Lamb of God who never sinned. And I want us, oh, I so want us this morning to get a hold of the mood and the passion of the text. Jesus wasn't going in there and just saying, everybody get out of here. It was more of a brokenheartedness. He was broken. He was passionate. He was hurt by what he saw going on. This place of great worship, of adoration for treasuring the Father, of worshiping God, had been turned into this place of money and greed. In verse 16, he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. He isn't just casually saying this. He's passionately saying it. He's crying out again. Not in some kind of sinful, angry tirade. That isn't it at all. He isn't sinning at all here. He's passionate. He's jealous for the glory of God. He's jealous for the honor of his Father, the one he has come to obey, the one whose will he has come to do, that he's been sent to earth to do. This is such a tender, passionate pleading on the part of our Savior. We think of Luke chapter 16, verse 13, where Jesus says this, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. We think of Matthew chapter 15 and verses 8 and 9, where Jesus says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. In vain do they worship me. So interesting how the disciples react, those disciples who were with him. Verse 17, so interesting. His disciples, when they see this, I mean, they're watching this. And you have to believe they're a little caught off guard. As they watch Jesus do this in the temple, they remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now, this is a quote. You'll notice it's in quote marks in your Bible. This is a quote from Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is a psalm of David. 
David is crying out to God in Psalm 69 because his enemies continue to hound him and to dog him. And David says, in Psalm 69, he says, my throat is parched from calling out to you. My eyes grow dim. I grow so weary. And then David says this, but zeal for your house consumes me. No matter what is happening in my life, I want to go to the temple of the Lord and I want to be consumed with the worship of God and the glory of God and the adoration of God. I want you to focus in verse 17 on that word, consume. Zeal for your house will consume me. And keep in mind, his zeal isn't for the brick and mortar. His zeal is for what takes place there. His zeal is for the worship of his father. His zeal is for the worship of God. It's interesting in the King James Version and in the New King James Version, it translates it, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Interesting translation. It's kind of an older phrase, but have you ever used the phrase, that just eats me up. That just eats me alive. You know, I see what he did, or I hear what she said, and it just eats me up. We use it in a negative way. It just eats me alive. And what are you saying? It just bothers you. All the time it just bothers you what they did or what they said. Well, here it's being used in an extremely positive way. Seal for your house. Has eaten me up. Zeal for your house, zeal for the worship of God has consumed me. And that's what his disciples observe. That's what his disciples remember. For the Christian, for the Christian, everything in our lives flows from our heartfelt passionate worship of God. We have so much to learn from our Savior in this passage. If you are experiencing in your life, privately, and in gathered worship, if you are experiencing heartfelt, passionate worship for God, it's going to affect everything in your life. Conversely, if you aren't experiencing heartfelt, passionate worship of God in your life, it's going to affect everything you do. And I want us to understand this is passion for God himself. This is a longing for him. Oh, we see this so many places in the Psalms. Let me give you just a couple of examples. Psalm 84.10. The psalmist says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Oh, a day in your courts, O oh Lord. 
is better than a thousand elsewhere. Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Oh, that's it. That's what they saw in Jesus. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. And one of my favorite passages, this isn't going to be on the screen, just one of the passages that I love so much on this subject, Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That's it. That's what this passage is about. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When, when can I go and meet with God? Let's really think together this morning about this passage. Jesus was so consumed. And again, I just really want us to grasp together that Jesus is not some angry person just throwing people out. This is a broken-hearted Savior so longing for his Father's glory and for the proper worship of his Father in the place that was built for worship that he just drives them out get out. That's not what this place was meant for. Let us really think, how does this apply to me? How does this apply to you? I want to caution us here. When we look at a passage like this, when we study a passage like this, it is so easy to criticize those who bought and sold the animals and those who exchanged the money. And they are Rightly deserving of criticism, but it's so easy for us just to focus on them. Oh, the greed that was going on there. Oh, the love of money that was going on there. Or it's so easy for us to criticize other Christians and other churches. Oh, you know, there's that big church. All they care about is money. Or those, there's those prosperity gospel preachers and their big churches, and all they care about is money. And it's easy for us to focus on those kinds of things. But what I really want us to think about this morning is, what about me? What about you? How does this really apply to my life? Here's the question that I ask myself this week. And I would encourage you to ask yourself, do I? Do I have an all-consuming zeal for the worship of God? If people observed my life, if they observed your life, would they say, he, he has an all-consuming zeal, an all-consuming passion for the worship of God? She she has an all-consuming zeal for the worship of God. Is that what they would say about me? Is that what they would say about you? 
I'm not talking, I want to make this clear, I'm not talking about worshiping God so I can get something from him. I'm not talking about worshiping God so he can do something for me. What I'm talking about is worshiping God just because of who he is and how much I love him. It is just focusing on the person of God and being zealously, passionately in love with him. And here's where I think all of us can learn from this. There are two places where I think we struggle with this. I know I do. I'll put myself at the very top of this list. Here's where I struggle with this. First, two words I think of. The first word is distraction. I so easily get distracted. Cares of this world, the responsibilities of this life, that I get so enamored with that that sometime I lo- sometimes I lose that first love. I lose that zealous worship of God just for who he is. So the first word is distraction. The second word is busyness. I just get so busy. And boy, as a pastor, I really identify with this one because... I even get busy in ministry. And maybe you do too. We, we get busy with good things. We're busy, busy, busy with this ministry, trying to do this good thing and that good thing. And, and, and that's good to do. But sometimes we can get so busy, even with good things, that we've lost our times. Those precious, priceless times of just worshiping God, of being zealous and passionate for him. Oh, when the disciples saw Jesus cleanse the temple, they said, zeal for his house consumes him. It consumes him. I'm going to pray in just a minute, and then we're going to close with a song that our church sings often. My personal opinion, I think this is one of the great hymns of our era. I do. It's the Sovereign Grace hymn, Behold Our God. And I think it fits this passage perfectly. Oh, that's what Jesus wants from us. Behold your God. Behold your God in all of his beauty and all of his wonder and worship him passionately, zealously worship him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would teach us again from this cleansing of the temple by Jesus, that he was so brokenhearted, so spiritually hurt by what he saw in the temple that he drove them out because his worship of the Father consumed him and ate him alive. Lord, my prayer for myself and for all of us is that we would be consumed with a worship for God, of wanting to worship him, adore him, to treasure him above all things, 
to find our greatest delight in him. Make us a people of heartfelt, zealous worship. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.